here to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Amen. And uh, He is worthy of our worship and our praise. So let's pray as we as we prepare our hearts. Lord, thank you for gathering us here in this place together. We belong to you, and uh, we want to just continue to acknowledge that and live that out in our lives because uh, it's so easy to forget that. So we lift up your name in worship and uh, lift up ourselves to you as well. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand together.
we give you thanks. For you are the King of Heaven. Died in 
Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Harvest Community Church. It's, um, it's so good to see everyone here. Why don't we turn to our neighbors and just welcome each other. So good morning. Welcome to Harvest Community Church. If you're visiting with us um, for the first time or if you have any prayer requests, there's a welcome card in the back of the bulletin. So if you can go ahead and fill that out, and then when the offering basket comes, comes around later on in service, go ahead and drop that in. So we're going to start with our announcements. And the first one is that um, we do have um, openings for uh, jobs. Promised Land teachers are needed. So grades four, 4 through 6, we still need teachers in April. So if you're interested um, um, in volunteering for that, please see Sammy or, or Herman. Um, how many of you use coupons or like discounts? That's it? That's it? Really? Okay, well, you know, if you register early for the summer retreat, you can get a discount. All right? So um, there's only one more month to get an early bird rate. So register. It's going to be um, our harvest summer retreat is going to be August 11th through the 13th. And it's going to be at the Alpine Camp. 
Um, you can also support Harvest at no cost by shopping at smile.amazon.com. I guess a part of the proceeds of anything that's spent there will go toward Harvest Community Church. And then um, we do have a town hall meeting today right after service. It's going to be in the, um, in the library. So um, right after service, go to, go to the library, and then we'll, we'll meet for the town hall meeting. Um, I'm going to invite Sean up. He has a message on the um, prayer fellowship. Okay, Sean, thank you for that. Okay, and then um, on April 1st and Saturday, the, the park is going to be meeting uh, from 7 to 9 at Irvine uh, Presbyterian. And in lieu of our prayer circle on Wednesday, April, April 12th, we'll be joining prayer with other Irvine churches. Um, and this is going to be on uh, Thursday, April 6th from 6 to 7 at Journey Church. So if you want to join that, mark your calendars. Planet Wisdom is going to be on April 7th through 8th, so, um, you know, I, I'm, I remember going there with my kids when they were in youth group, so this is really a great conference for youth, so um, uh, mark your calendars April 7th through 8th, and then three days of Easter, we're, we're going to have a busy week, um, starting with Maundy Thursday on um, April 13th, uh, Good Friday service on April 14th. And then we're also going to have um, Easter Sunday on April 16th. So uh, mark your calendars for each one of those. Um, Monday, Thursday, and um, Good Friday services are going to be held at Cypress Community Park. And the address is in your bulletins. And then there's an outreach fund fundraiser event. And this is going to be put on by the International Dancers of Sun Lakes. So um, this is actually um, um, Melanie uh, Lau's um, mother who heads up this, this dance troupe, and we did see them over at Sun Lakes, um, and they are, it's really a fantastic show. So they're willing to do this as a fundraiser for Harvest. So uh, mark your calendars. Um, it's, um, do we have the date in there? Oh, May 27th from 1 to 3 at Lakeview Senior Center. Okay, so... Um, Pastor Curtis is going to be talking today um, um, on a passage from Luke 12, and about 12 to 13 years ago, you know, I, I was talking to Juliet this morning, and, you know, we, we gauge things based on the age of our kids, right? So about 12 to 13 years ago, we went to um, uh, Newport, Rhode Island, and we went to go look at these um, mansions of the very, very ultra-wealthy, and I think some of you might might have gone to to um, see these mansions, but we went to the Vanderbilt Mansion, and it's called the Breakers. And this is a mansion that they have something like 60,000 feet of living space. About a I don't know if you, you can even think about 65,000 feet. Five stories, 70 rooms, okay? And you know, this was a summer residence. This wasn't their primary residence. This, is, this was their summer residence. So, you know, they were only there during the summertime. When they were there, they had hundreds of servants. I don't know exactly how many, but I was reading about just the stables that they had, you know, for the horses and carriages. The stables alone, they had 12 full-time staff members, okay? So you can imagine how many people would it would take to you know, to, just to serve the Vanderbelts when they were there during the summertime. And I remember going into Mrs. Vanderbelt's room, and, you know, this, this um, mansion was built in, like, 18, 1890, and, you know, they occupied it in the early 1900s, and she had a pager system built in her, her room. So she can call the kitchen, or she can call the maid, or she can call somebody else, and they would come up, Come up, come up direct, directly to her room, and her bath, her bathtub. She could either fill it with regular water, or ocean water. Okay, they thought that 
ocean water, seawater had therapeutic properties. So she can get her bathtub, and, and I forget what, what um, you know, floor she was on, third floor, fifth floor, I'm not sure, but she could turn the dial and fill up her bath water with ocean water. This is pretty opulent. <laughs> so I, I guess, you know, leading into um, what Pastor Curtis is going to be talking about today, you know, you, you really question what was the value of buying and building this mansion? I mean, how many years were they able, able to actually enjoy it? And, you know, were, were there better uses for, for this wealth? So let's turn to Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. Okay, so Luke chapter 12, verse, verse uh, 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me judge or an arbitrator between you? Then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store up my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be, will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. Pastor Curtis. Good morning. I began ministry in 1983, and about the same time, um, there was a TV show, which was the exact opposite of my life. In 1983, uh, beginning ministry, I had been making $50 a month as an intern working at a church, and um, I, was started, I did other work to try to supplement my income, uh, but obviously, I was, as I was starting out in ministry, I was living... Uh, a life where I was just like trying to, to make ends meet. And then there was this TV show. Um, and maybe if you're old enough, you, you remember it. Uh, it was called The Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. Anybody remember that show? Okay, so the, enough of you. That Thank you for confessing. Um, and so, so, you know, you watch this show, and there are people on this show that, as Dwayne said, their lifestyles are extreme, their lifestyles are opulent, um, and yet, for most people, their lifestyles are admirable and desirable. And we live in a culture still of the lifestyles of the rich and famous. We would be able to actually be the stars of TV shows to so many third world countries. What we have would blow them away. What we enjoy, to them, they would go, why the waste? Why so much? We're in a time where you and I have an opportunity to do great things with our lives. We have been given by God so much that we can bless other people with. And Jesus comes to us and he says, you know what? I don't want you to have a lifestyle of the rich and famous. I want you to have a lifestyle of the rich and wise. And God's not against riches. God's not against money. You're going to hear me say that a number of times today because the danger of hearing this message is thinking that God wants us to be poor. And that's not, poverty is not necessarily God's will for us. Now, for some people it might be, but I doubt that would be true for any of us here today. That God has given to us an opportunity to use all that we have for his glory. God wants us to share what we have and to be wise givers and wise stewards. Money is not bad. 
Money's not evil. Possessions are not wrong. God has blessed us so that we can be a blessing. And so how do we have this lifestyle of the rich and wise? How do we live in such a way that we do what God wants us to do? Well, let's look again at our parable. I'm going to read verses 13 through 15, and you can follow along. And there it says, someone, so Jesus is teaching, and someone in the crowd says to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. The first thing that God would want for all of us is to consider our how we live and are we guarding our lives from greed? Because when we have so much, it's easy to want more. The more we have, the more we want. And so oftentimes, the more we have, the less we are satisfied. And in this story, what's happening is Jesus is teaching and this man comes up to him and he says, hey, Jesus, Rabbi, I have a problem. My older brother won't share the inheritance with me. My father has died, and you tell my older brother to share it with me. In that day, when the father of the family passed away, the older son would receive a double portion of the inheritance. Plus, he was the executor of the estate, and it was up to him to decide how much his brothers would get, if they would get anything at all. And so this younger brother apparently had been at odds with his older brother, and, and he wanted more, and so he went to a rabbi. Why would he go to a rabbi? Well, rabbis were experts in the law, and they were also teachers. And so oftentimes, it was, bec well, it was because of the law that, the, that this man had this law that said that the older brother gets the inheritance, or a double portion of it, and so the law is being interpreted by the brother in a certain way, and this younger brother wants Jesus to reinterpret it a different way in his benefit. But it wasn't because he was concerned about the law. It wasn't because he was concerned about justice. It wasn't because he was concerned about anybody but himself. And so Jesus says, hey, I want you to, to watch out because we all have this problem. Watch out for greed that might be in our lives. Watch out for greed that may happen. I was just looking um, today and noticed that the, um, the, the lotto plus this month is, oh, right now, is about $23 million. And I was thinking, wow, you know, what could I do with $23 million? What could you do with $23 million? It would probably sound pretty good, right? And so suppose like, you know, you come home from work, and, and in my case, it'd be my wife, and, and she goes, Curtis, guess what? You know, I don't have to win the lottery, but somebody's offered me $23 million. Can I take it? And I said, well, of course you can take it. And she goes, this is great. This is going to take care of us. We don't have to worry about money anymore. Uh, we don't have to worry about, you know, paying bills anymore. We don't have to worry about our health anymore. We'll be able to pay for everything. We can go out and get whatever we want. This is great. And I said, well, wait a minute. Um, but what do you have to do to get this $23 million? She said, oh, she's just one, one simple thing. And I said, what's that? And she goes, well, I, I just have to give you to him. I just have to give you up to him as a slave. Is that okay? <laughs> oh, you think I'm just worth $23 million? You know, is that it? And then she says, well, you know, okay, he said it was all right. He goes, it's either, it's either you or the kids. He said, you know, he'll take, he'll take three kids for $23 million. You know, and I was like, what is wrong? Like, you can't put a, a money value on children. You can't put a money value on me. None of us would do that, right? And yet, if we place our worth in how much we make, or we place our value, or define ourselves by our possessions, it's no worse than that scenario. Where somebody might say, you know what, I'd rather have $23 million than my husband, I'd rather have $23 million than my wife. God wants us 
to understand that money has a purpose, but it does not define us. There's not enough money in the world that would be equal to your worth. God wants us to be happy. He wants us to understand how to use our wealth in the right way. Um, maybe you remember years ago there was a cartoon called Happiness Is, and um, you've probably seen some of those. And so, so here's one, um, and it, it says, hap- oh, there it is. It says, happiness is unexpectedly finding pieces of chocolate. Right? So yeah, that could be happiness. The, the second one says, happiness is having finished all your exams. Right? That's pretty good. That's happiness. And happiness is talking to a friend who makes you feel that everything's going to be okay. And, and that indeed is happiness. Now, for some of us, it might be this third one. Fourth one, happiness is unlimited high-speed internet that actually works. Right? Now, but none of these, if you look at happiness is, ever says happiness is $23 million. Happiness is a big new house, the Vanderbilt estate. Happiness is the Hearst Castle. Now, it, never, it never says that. You know, maybe you've seen the Love Is cartoons too. Same thing. You never see love is money. Love is possessions. It doesn't work that way. God wants us to understand that money never defines us. Possessions never, ever tell us how much we're worth. And what's so important about this message is not just what you hear today, but what you do when you go home and you think about this. And so I've got some thought questions there, some, some things for you to meditate upon. And you can look on, on your outline there or up on the screen now. And you have there's some questions there. And it says, in living in a materialistic culture that measures worth largely in terms of possessions, where do I see greed in my life? Now, if I'm honest with you, I see greed in my life. And my guess is that if you're just honest with yourself, you may find places where there's greed in your own life. And number two, do I, find my li- do I define my life and success by my possessions? Do I define my life and success by possessions? Now, does God want us to be successful? Yes, he does. But in his terms defined his ways. And it's not going to be something that, that you will find necessarily easy to deal with, nor do I. But we must ask ourselves, what is success? What is happiness? And am I really finding it in my life right now? Jesus says the first thing that we must do to guard our lives so that we have a good life is to check our greed and see where that lies. The second thing that God would have us to do so that we could have a lifestyle of the rich and wise is to turn away from selfishness to thankfulness and generosity. Turn away from selfishness to thankfulness and generosity. Let me read verses 16 through 19. And there it continues and says, And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. This man in Jesus' parable is only thinking about himself. Notice how often He says, I, in this parable. Notice how often he talks about mine, mine, mine. Three times. It's about my crops. It's about my barns. It's about my surplus. In the Middle East, in the days of Jesus, people lived, of course, in villages. But these villages were typically very tightly knit communities. And when decisions needed to be made by even a small individual, he or she would often consult their community. 
They would have discussions about it. They would go to their family. They would go to their friends to be able to make a decision. Even small decisions they would bring to the community to ask for advice, to seek wisdom before they made their choices. But notice that this man apparently doesn't have a community or doesn't even bother to go to them because it says that he thinks to himself and he also talks to himself. I'll say it to myself. What we could say of this man is that he had no friends. He had no friends. He didn't have a community that he consulted with. I've known many people, Christians, who have made very unwise decisions financially, who never ever consulted their community. And maybe that was because they never really felt like they had a community to consult with to talk to, to share with. But this is one of the things that God helps us so that we're not selfish or so that we think of our community and our community thinks of us. Our community helps us so that we can make the wise decision. Now this man also probably didn't have a relationship with God because he never talks about God. He just talks about himself. And if somebody had said, you know what, everything you have here is from God, he probably would have said, no, it's not. Because notice, like, it is my crops. It is my barns. I've done all this work. I plowed this ground. I planted the seeds. I watered the fields. I harvested everything. I did all the work. And Jesus humbles this man. And he says right away, no, you did not produce this. Who produced all of this that became his wealth? Notice, look at the parable. What produced all of his wealth according to verse 16? The very beginning of the parable, Jesus says what? What produced? It's the ground. Now, if that doesn't humble you, what will? What is really producing all of your wealth? It's dirt. It's the dirt, Jesus says. Because God created the dirt. God created the seed. God made the sun shine. God sent the rain. It was the dirt that created the wealth that this man now had. It wasn't him. Now remember, God is not against wealth. In fact, it is God who gives us wealth. If we want to live a wise life, we should read Proverbs. Um, So please open up your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 8. So it's in the middle of your Bible, right after Psalms, Proverbs chapter 8. We're going to look at um, three or four Proverbs. And there's many more, but it's important for us to see these because these talk about wealth. And it talks about where wealth comes from. Proverbs chapter 8. Verse 18. You found it? I'll read it. And it says there, With me are riches and honor, enduring wealth and prosperity. Now the me is wisdom, and wisdom is from God. So it is with God that we find riches and honor and enduring wealth and prosperity. Now turn to two chapters up. Chapter 10, verse 4, and the Bible says this, and it talks about our responsibility. And it says, lazy hands make a man poor, but diligent hands bring wealth. So God does have a place for us to work. There is an important part of our going out and putting forth the effort. We are not to be lazy But it is through this that God uses it to give us wealth. And then verse 22 in the same chapter, Proverbs 10, verse 22. The Bible says, the blessing of the Lord brings wealth and he adds no trouble to it. Have you ever noticed that the more money you have, the more troubles you have about the things you bought with the money? Ever thought back to the times in your life and maybe in your relationships, if you're married, and you go, gosh, you remember, honey, we were, we were so happy when we first got married and we had so little. 
Why are we fighting so much now? Remember the, the good old days when you were young? I remember when 1983, okay, when I was starting a ministry, you know, dinner was balloon bread, all right? Um, just, I'd go to the market and I'd buy the cheapest bag of bread. And then I would buy that Budig. Um, they still sell it. Basically, it's just, you know, I don't know where, it's like dirt and dust put together with flavoring, and then they call it meat. Um, and it, it's, it's budding. It was a really thinly sliced stuff. And I remember that was my dinner so many times when I was in seminary. And I think back and I go, those were good days. Those were good days. Uh, of course, I don't want Carol making that for dinner anymore. God has blessed us. And he says that when we have wealth, if we're really using wealth well, he adds no trouble to it. So we can have wealth without trouble. God wants us to know that money is okay. It has great power to do good. Money has great power to do good for other people and to help those that we love and even to bless ourselves. But money also has great power to do great harm. I've seen money ruin spiritual lives. I have seen friends turn away from the church and pursue a life that's just for this world. Money has a way of reducing us to just people who are machines trying to make more so we can perform more, so we can do better than the other person, so we think we finally accomplished something. And yet when we look in the mirror, money offers no reflection. And it's empty. I've seen money ruin relationships. Or somebody in the family, one of them is pursuing money so much, the relationship between husband and wife or between parent and child is disintegrated and diminishes to where there's no good relationship because too much emphasis was put on living for this world. Again, God is not against money. He's not against wealth, but he wants us to know its dangers he wants us to use our wealth under his direction. He doesn't want us to renounce wealth. He doesn't want us to necessarily relinquish our wealth. He wants us to use it wisely. And the most wise way we use it is to use it to honor him. Look at Proverbs 3, verse 9. And our final proverb. Proverbs 3, verse 9. And the Bible says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your crops. Honor the Lord with your wealth and the first fruits of all your crops. Now our crops, we don't, you know, I don't think anybody here is a farmer, but our crops are our paychecks, what we make from what we do. And God says, I want you to honor me with the first fruits of all of that. Carol and I believe in tithing. And so we give 10% of our gross to God. And we've, we've done that, I think, ever since we got married. And God has honored that in our lives. I remember the first time that I heard about tithing was when I was in college. And I, and I had a $100 debt, right? Because that's all that Bank of America would give me on my Visa card, right? Actually, back then it was called a Bank of America card. Remember those days? Um, but, you know, I wanted to establish credit. And so the college I was at, they had all these ads all over the place. And so, you know, I got my first credit card. And, and I remember I went to the mall and I was just so happy. I got $100. I can buy anything I want. And so I, I got up to my $100 limit and I would pay off, right, the credit based on what you can per month. And I realized something that the balance hardly ever went down, right? You know, you're just always owing more money because you're always paying interest on top of that. And so it was at that same time that my pastor was doing a message series on money, and he said, if you will honor God and, and trust God, and if you would tithe, that God would take care of you. And I'm like, no, he won't. I still got to pay off this debt first, right, this $100 debt, and then I'll tithe. But I didn't pay off that debt. But I did learn to tithe. And God has so blessed that thought. 
that I'm able to give to God because of all that God's given to me. It doesn't change necessarily how much money you will make, but it will change absolutely the way you see money and how you use it and what it can make in other people's lives and the blessing that it can give. That God would bless us as we give, that God would honor us as we share, as God would make us happier even as we learn that it is more happy to give than to receive, which is what Jesus teaches. It is more happy to give than to receive. God wants to use our wealth to honor him. Turn with me in the New Testament to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 11. Second Corinthians chapter 9, verse 11. And there it says, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God that God is going to use us as a conduit so that other people are blessed, so that they will give thanksgiving to God, so that our selfishness is changed to thanksgiving in other people as we learn how to be generous with the things that God's given to us. I have often regretted being cheesy. I'm sorry, uh, chintzy. I've often regretted. (laughs) I guess I've I've often regretted being cheesy, too. Um, But yeah, I've often regretted being chintzy and cheap. But I've never regretted being generous and kind. I've never regretted. Like, I can't think that any time when I go, dang, I gave him too much. I, I shouldn't have done that. I've never regretted being generous. But too often I've been chintzy and cheap. And I've regretted that so many times. God has blessed us. And, and, you know, what is it that gives us the ability to give? It is because we have community. It is because we want to bless other people. We see ourselves as part of other people's lives. And I want to help other people. I want to be a blessing as God's been a blessing to me. And so we have three questions there that I just encourage you to go home and think about. Do I see making money? and having material possessions as gifts from God? Do I see making money and having material possessions as gifts from God? Number two, how generous am I to my family, my church, and my community? And number three, do I have a community that makes me, helps me to make wise decisions? Think about that and how you would be able to respond and act accordingly in your answers. Well, the third thing that we have to do if we're going to live a lifestyle of the rich and wise is to be concerned about something more important than money. And that is to be concerned about our soul. To be concerned about our soul and to be ready to meet God. Let me read verses 20 and 21. But God said to him, You fool, this very night Your life will be demanded from you. Then, who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Jesus, in his parable, says that God says to this man who had all of these riches, you fool. Now that is a very, very hard saying. In the Old Testament, in Psalms, the Bible says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. And quite likely, this man didn't believe in God in this parable. And he was also considered a fool because he wasn't considering how important his life really was. When we reduce our lives to being defined by money, we reduce the value of what we really think about ourselves. 
when we think about ourselves as a soul, when we think about ourselves as a real person, when we think about ourselves as being more than just what we can do and more than just what we can earn and and more than just what other people see, when we see ourselves as something that's going to live forever and someone who has a value before God and before people that is meant to be eternally joyful and eternally blessed and eternally in relationship with good people and with God, then we know what it means to live a life that is one that seeks after true riches with true wisdom. And so what God wants us to be doing is to be preparing ourselves for our real future. Every one of us has a real future that is not on the earth as it is today. Our real future, as God would want it to be, is with him in heaven. But we must be careful And remember that this life on earth will vanish so quickly. Turn with me, please, in the book of James, chapter 4, verse 13. James, chapter 4, verse 13. Now read it, and you can follow along. James, chapter 4, verse 13 and 14. And there the Bible says, now listen. You who say, today or tomorrow we will go this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist. You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. We've had some foggy mornings the last few weeks. I wake up in the morning, going to the office, and it's all foggy. By around 8.30, 9 o'clock, it's all gone. The vanished mist has disappeared. God wants us to know our lives are that way as well. God wants us to know that our lives are so important that we need to remember this. We don't know how long we have to live. God wants to be concerned about our souls, not just about our physical lives. There's a proverb that says there are no pockets in a shroud. Shrouds have no pockets. Maybe you've heard the saying that you've never seen a U-Haul behind a hearse. You've never seen a U-Haul behind a hearse. And we, you know, we understand that. We think about that. But what God wants us to do is to live that. To realize that we have a soul The soul is the center of our spiritual lives. It represents who we really are. It's our genuine essence. We are valuable as souls. We are whole people to God. And God wants us to be rich towards him. He wants us to be rich because this is who we are made to be. We are made to use our riches to bless other people. But even more than that, we are made to have Jesus in our life. And he is the one who truly makes us rich. And he is the one who teaches us how to live a life of richness. God wants us to be rich like Jesus. God wants us to be rich as Jesus was rich. Turn with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Verses 7 through 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 7 through 9. And there the Bible says, But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. Jesus came here to earth to make us rich. 
And as we are going through the season of Lent, we understand what his poverty meant to him. The suffering that he went through. The pain that he went through. The agony that he went through on the cross. Even getting to the cross for your sake and for mine. And why did he do it? We know because of his grace. And it is because of this grace that was inspired by his love that you and I, says Paul in 2 Corinthians, can live the exact same way like Jesus. What is it that gives us the desire to want to give to other people? It is love. What is it in us that has a desire to do things that excel in things that go beyond what is absolutely the norm of life? It is by grace. It is by grace that we give ourselves to other people for their sakes. Just as Jesus, the Bible says in verse 9, why did he give himself to us in his grace? It is for our sakes. So when we give, we give for the sake of others, not for our own sakes. And yet God remembers that. And he makes us rich. So that there is this paradox of life that the truest riches that we have come through the ways that we give of ourselves that make us a little bit more poor. God wants us to be able, like Jesus, to become poor for the sake of others, so that through that type of pouring out of our lives, others will become rich and have a life of richness. It means so much when somebody gives you a gift. And when you know that they give you that gift, even though they don't have a lot, it means so much more. It would mean more to receive a gift from a homeless person than from a millionaire if you knew that it came from their heart and that they were giving all that they had for you because they cared about you and loved you. Our lives are short, but we still have the opportunity even today, to bless other people. This week, to give to other people. To recognize the fragileness of our own existence, but at the same time, the beauty of what we can do through that broken life. And so there's three final questions that I encourage you to think about this week, even today, even right now. If I were to die tonight, like this man in the parable was going to, if I were to die tonight, would I be ready to give an account of my life to God? Secondly, how are my possessions being invested for eternity? How am I giving to others for their sake? And number three, are my possessions being used to make me and others more like Jesus? Are my possessions being used to make me and others more like Jesus? I hope and pray that you will think about these things this week and indeed live a life that is rich and wise. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love and for your kindness and for your goodness. We thank you for all that you give to us that goes beyond what we could ever ask or think or imagine. And we pray, Father, that we would live a life of richness and we would live a life of wisdom. We pray, Father, that we would be people who make you proud because we live like Jesus. Thank you, Lord. In his name we pray. Amen. We're going to continue worshiping the Lord together. Giving back to God's time. So I ask the ushers to come forward. If you filled out that welcome card, please uh, drop it in the bag as it goes by. You can write them on the welcome card. We'll sing a song, reminder to us of what is important.
Heavenly Father, that is the greatest riches of all, to belong to you. Lord, we thank you that when we are in your hands and we are in your family and we are in your care, then we are the safest place in the world to be, the best place of all. Father, we pray that this week as we live for you, we would live generous lives. We would love others as we love ourselves. And we would give, Father, to show forth the riches of Christ to others, that they might know your riches and your love even through us. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. Amen and amen.